2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market summer, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to the West Coast of America. I'd be one of my friends that's trying to make some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, you, put it in context. Call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Today, we had so much good news that it was almost overwhelming, at least until we heard chatter that the White House might keep its tariffs on Chinese goods for another 10 months. At which point, the averages strangely gave back their gains, now closing up just 33 points, has declining 0.15%, NASDAQ dipping 0.24%. But there's a lot going on here, and I think leaving the tariffs on until China actually follows through with its promises, since they double-crossed it so many times, makes a ton of sense. It should have caused a rally, not a sell-off. But maybe it was some sort of weird, mistaken reason to take profits. First, though, it's worth considering just how much good the trade war may have accomplished in our country In a pretty short time. Tomorrow, the United States and China will sign an historic agreement. The Chinese have agreed to buy $200 billion in goods and services from us in exchange for our government agreeing to hold off on more tariff hikes, roll back half of a 15% levy on other products, though those rollbacks might be months away. We're still keeping tariffs on $360 billion worth of Chinese goods, and China has allowed its currency to become much stronger. In exchange, we're no longer accusing them of currency manipulation. But China is a strong currency that makes their exporters a lot less competitive. So for everyone who told us that the Chinese Communist Party was playing the long game, that there was no way we could win and we would get nothing, well, how'd that work out? Because to me, this looks like a huge victory. Now, I, I don't call $80 billion in manufacturing orders over a couple of years nothing. I don't call $50 billion in energy orders, $35 billion in services, $32 billion in digital agriculture purchases, nothing. Let me put it to you this way. If you come out a year ago and predicted we get all these concessions plus a pledge to open their markets to American financial companies while we kept most of the tariffs in place, well, I would have told you that was inconceivable. As I've been saying all along, China needs a trade deal far more than we do, and that's why we're getting such good terms. If the Chinese government lives up to its promises, I'm betting a whole host of companies will get major earnings boosts. For example, our manufacturing sector has dwindled so much that it's hard to think, well, where the hell will China be able to find $80 billion worth of manufactured goods? But there's one quick way to spend that money. They could place orders with Boeing. No wonder the beleaguered aerospace stock rallied today. Despite some revelations, about how Boeing insiders disparage Lion Air's management as idiots for wanting more pilot training not long before the tragic 737 MAX crash that killed 189 people. Boeing, it needs all the help it can get right now. Their orders are awful, the worst in decades. So, some major Chinese purchases, perhaps of other planes that are available, would be just what the doctor ordered. Caterpillar and Deer. Two of our heavy machinery makers, well, they could use that business too. How about energy? Now, we got a surfeit of fossil fuels coming out of the Gulf of Mexico, particularly natural gas, and it comes out as multiple liquefied natural gas export terminals that ship the LNG all over the world. And you know what? Much of the world is desperate for natural gas, for our natural gas, China especially. That seemed like a pretty easy call. Agriculture? Remember, the Chinese are having a major pork shortage. Covered that yesterday when we talked about Zoetis. So I'm expecting Tyson Foods to fly once China starts making these purchases. The African swine fever outbreak means they don't have a choice. People have to eat. How big a deal with these orders? We're getting brokerage recommendations to buy the railroad's. Because all this stuff needs to be transported to the coast before it can be shipped to China. Just so you know, I prefer Union Pacific. They open up because they have the direct routes to the major ports in Southern California. Okay, so what about the flip side of the trade war? Everybody told us that slapping big tariffs on China would push up all the, uh, the cost of all sorts of goods here. Uh, because that's what tariffs are for. They make imports more expensive so domestic producers can afford to raise prices. Except that hasn't happened. It's actually kind of stunning. It's certainly different from what I learned in the 70s when I went to school. Today we got the consumer price index for December and it was up only 0.2 percent, thanks in part to declines in used cars and trucks, household furnishings and airline tickets. Meanwhile, the categories where I was most worried about inflation, apparel, come on, we import all that stuff, shelter, commodities, barely registered. Okay, I know this is a little outrageous, but to me it seems like maybe the country's got its cake and it can eat it too. So then why do the averages get back to gains? Once we heard the chatter about the tariffs staying on until after the election, the media settled on a narrative, the mainstream media settled on a narrative uh, that there's no path forward for a phase two trade deal on top of the deal we've already just negotiated. Now listen to me. Also, they felt that coupled with the fact that the market had gotten overbought, that's what I think caused the averages to roll over. But you know what? What's important here? I think that worrying about the path forward is like worrying about the next game when your team has just won the darn Super Bowl. The timeline here is not what's important. Don't buy into that. What matters is that President Trump won't roll back the tariffs until China follows through with its promise to buy $200 billion worth of stuff for us. To me, it sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like Reagan trust and verify with the Russians. Away from trade, we got our first big earnings reports from Delta Airlines, Citigroup, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo. Three out of four were astonishing. Delta reported a magnificent quarter bolstered by robust U.S. travel that was far better than we expected. Sure, the company benefited from the fact that all those grounded 737 MAX planes have curbed airline capacity, allowing them to raise prices. But after those numbers, the stock was simply too cheap for words, trading just eight times next year's earnings estimates. Delta CEO Ed Bastian called it a. Horrific holiday season when he was interviewed by our own Phil Lebeau. Then J.P. Morgan and Citigroup gave you monster good quarters. J.P. Morgan posted 7% deposit growth, 3% loan growth. Still had strong net interest income despite the decline in the Fed funds rate. That wasn't supposed to happen either. <laughs> I don't know how this is, I mean, I, a plethora of good news. Hey, by the way, speaking of China, I think the newfound certainty that came with the deal and the trade truce, well, uh, led to a spike in trading. People stopped sitting in their hands, which helped JP Morgan deliver this giant upside surprise. If anything, Citigroup's results were even more impressive when you consider that this is actually the cheapest of the major bank stocks. Citi had excellent growth in all lines, especially credit cards up double digits. Companies also voracious about buying back its stock. They've now retired roughly a third of their share count over the last few years. Flying the ointment Wells Fargo. When look at their pathetic results, makes it clear this company's suffering. It's not spending enough. Perhaps because of the management turmoil? JP Morgan's been able to take market share left and right in this country because it's invested heavily in technology and service. Wells Fargo is lagging behind in taking new accounts, and that's another reason why it's stock got hammered. They gotta spend a lot, they gotta get their act together. Charlie Scharf, new CEO, he's got his hands filled. Now, even though we got a lot of good news, the market couldn't sustain this morning's rally. Again, stocks were overbought, meaning we've come up very far, very fast. But the statistics from these banks show a robust consumer who's still spending within her means. That's an encouraging backdrop, especially if we're headed into some short-term sell-off after a remarkable run. One last positive, the endless rally of the overheated FANG stocks, well, on the same old price target bump, price target bump, price target bump news, finally seems to have run its course. I say hallelujah! (laughs) Hallelujah! It's good. These stocks need to cool down. Meanwhile, the banks and the airlines have been stalled for a while, and that's how they were able to run on positive stories. Bottom line, if today's afternoon pullback turns into a full-blown decline later this week, you need to remember that a sell-off would be a terrible thing to waste. So many companies doing so well. I'd love to buy them, but at this point, only on weakness. Let's take calls. Let's go to Spencer in Florida. Spencer. Booyah, Jim. Nice, Spence. What's up? So I called a couple of months ago, and at the time, I wanted to start a new position in uh, five and below, and it was trading for around uh, 125 at the time. Right. And he told me to wait for a pullback, so
1: I got in around 118, and with the stock tumbling again yesterday, I was wondering if I should
2: buy more. Away for another pullback. Hold off. I mean, the stock did bounce today. I do expect it to come back down again tomorrow because a pre-announcement does not allow a stock to come back instantly like this. But it's going to be a great long-term situation, which is why it didn't fall even more than it did. Spencer, okay. How about John in California? John! Uh, Booyah,
1: Jim. We love you out here in Sacramento. How you been?
2: Oh, uh, John, always good to hear from you. What's going on?
1: Okay, I'm thinking about getting back into the infrastructure play. Saw some hard hats next to Trump. What do
3: you think of U.S. concrete?
2: No. No, that's a total show-me stock, and so far it hasn't shown me. If you want infra, you buy... Caterpillar. All right, look, if we get a sell off, please don't waste it, but hands sit on them until we do. Man Money Tonight coming to you from CMUC's One Market in San Francisco. Nice day out. Dexcom pre announced results yesterday at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. What is the signal for the stock though? I got the exclusive. Then, have we gotten too complacent? You know I care about this, so I gotta go straight to the empirical data, and tonight's off the charts. And it's the end of an era for Medtronic. Omar Ishrock is stepping down as CEO. Omar. I sat down with him at the JP Morgan conference to talk about his tenure. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer
4: on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer hashtag# MadTweets. Send Jim an email to Madmoney at CnBC.com. Or give us a call
2: More than 30 million Americans have diabetes. So while we're out here for the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, I gotta take a closer look at one of the companies that helps manage the condition. Dexcom, the maker of a continuous glucose monitor that measures your blood sugar levels without the need to constantly prick your finger for a blood sample. Over the past two years, Dexcom's stock has more than quadrupled on the strength of what I regard as the great innovation in the field. But this is what, uh, kind of a, what am we going to call it, a what have you done for me lately market? And yesterday we got a confusing forecast. The company pre-announced strong revenue for the fourth quarter, shockingly strong. But they paired that result with what was widely viewed as a conservative full year revenue forecast. And the stock got dinged a bit. Could be a buying opportunity. Let's check in with an old friend of the show, Kevin Sayer, the chairman, president, and CEO of Dexcom. To get a better read on these results and where the company said, Mr. Sayer. welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Nice to be here. Kevin, every year you come out to <laughs> JP Morgan, you're a conservative guy. And every year you come out and you blow all the numbers away, and then you do give a conservative forecast. All I'm asking is, is this pretty much business as usual for you?
5: This is business as usual for
2: us. We lay out a forecast that contemplates.
5: For example, pricing changes in the market, I talked yesterday about the fact that our foreign growth will be faster than our domestic growth this year, so that's a lower revenue per year, patient per channel, and also Medicare is a little lower than our traditional commercial insurance, and as we move our product to the pharmacy, our revenue per patient per year is a little bit lower, so we've contemplated those things, competition. And if things uh, go better, we'll tell everybody. But we we know what we did to build these numbers. It's consistent
2: with what we've done in the past. Okay. Now, one of the things that people tell me is, hey, Jim, I know you love this thing, but everybody who can uh, get, everyone who has it is taking it. I see not only the opposite for type one and type two, but the global crisis would indicate that we're nowhere near penetration and saturation.
5: We're not close. Uh, With all the tools we have, Diabetes complications still run rampant for people with diabetes. The percentage of people not affected with diabetes com- complications hasn't changed. It hasn't gotten any better. And we, and we that, to, well, since two years
2: more. ago when they kept the data, how many more people have gotten diabetes? Fifty million more around the world. How is that possible? How could it, this be such an, an epidemic?
5: It, it, our diets, our nature, quite frankly, what's going on with the way we live combined with with genes and everything, it's just... More and more frequent, and it's not that easy to identify anymore either. Particularly in type two, it used to be, well, type two—that's somebody obese who doesn't exercise, whatever. It's not the case
2: anymore. Now you do have a, a new iteration coming up, the seven. Got the six, and now wildly proper uh, uh, positive. Uh, how small is this one going to be? The seven is a
5: little bit smaller than a quarter circumference. Okay. A little bit, a little bit thicker, but but smaller. It will be a fully disposable platform, so a patient will wear it for their wear period, uh, hopefully out to 14 or 15 days, throw it away and put another one on. We're doing what patients want. Uh, They want it simpler, they want it easier to use. Yeah,
2: you are consumer-oriented, uniquely out here. I talked to a lot of companies, they're doctor-oriented, Uh, that they're medical professional oriented but you're consumer-oriented.
5: We are, because it's our patients who wear that device every day, and it's our patients who depend on it for for, for their life and with that information. We started as physician-oriented, actually, and we made a very conscious decision. We still work with the physicians and talk with them, but we made a very conscious decision about four years ago when we hired a new marketing team Let's go consumer, not healthcare. It's really working it's been, out. It, it's, it's been very helpful.
2: I told people that you were on, and there are people who email me immediately because they're, I, I've got to tell you this. Let me give you one. Uh, this is my friend, Eric. He writes, uh, it is, he loves the Dexcom. He says, it is literally seeing the motion picture of what your blood sugar is doing, allowing you to figure out what happens when I go for a run, eat pasta, etc."
5: It absolutely does, and even if you don't have diabetes, because you know I wear these things a bunch, Jim. Right. Uh, we watched the football game together in the suite last night, uh, and I had a bowl of chocolate-covered pretzels next to me, so I had a few, and then I looked at my glucose readings this morning, and yeah, I'm sorry, no more chocolate-covered pretzels wow. for me. It, All right. Because your blood sugar g- It's just so much mean higher.
2: taskmaster?
5: Yeah. No, for me, uh, as you work on being healthier, right. you, you learn things. From a CGM, even without diabetes, with exercise, you learn what that does to your glucose for the
2: day. It's really important. Now, it's so important that we have to address the notion of the outage that happened after Thanksgiving. Because I know that you, were, um, you addressed it head-on. You did yeah. not bury it. No. You did not act like it happened. So tell us what the circumstances were and the outcome. Certainly.
5: Uh, we have a feature in our system where patients on our system, on their phones, can share data with other caregivers or other loved ones. That data comes from a server architecture that, that, that we put together. We moved that those ser- servers to a bigger platform uh, earlier last year. And uh, over Thanksgiving, we had some issues with the servers, and they went down. And nobody's in the building in Thanksgiving. You know, it was a Saturday of Thanksgiving. We got our message out, and we eventually got it fixed. There's some great learnings for us here. In fact, Jim, there are three of them. I'd like to go over the first one. As I said earlier, this was our fault. We could have been more diligent in what we did, and, and we won't let this happen again. You know, the second thing we learned is communication. When, our, when, when we have something like this, we're kind of perfectionists, so we want to fix right. everything. Right. Well, we couldn't fix this immediately. It took us some days. So while we communicated in eight hours that they were down, we didn't have continuous messages and, 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 and other things. We've done. We've taken measures to now change that. That won't our, happen again. No, because we're going to put live messaging in our app. We're also going to put like a server status report on our webpage. So if you, if anybody's experiencing difficulty, they can go look at that. But the third thing we learned: how important is this? Because based on the reaction exactly. of everybody, people are calling reporters. They're calling all over everywhere to get out that our servers are down. And and as I'm hearing from people and getting emails, I'm going. Wow, we have a big responsibility here. Well, this you addressed a it
2: immediately and you addressed it swiftly. And uh, and sternly. Yeah. I think that's right. One last thing I don't want to leave on that note. No. Uh, Two partnerships, Livongo, a company that we've recommended many times, Eli Lilly, these yes. are meaningful partnerships for you.
5: They are meaningful partnerships. On the Lilly front, we're going to have integrated devices with their smart pens, and, and, and they're working on an insulin pen as well. You. They love you. Uh, we, we really like working with them, yeah. too. On the Livongo side, this is a data partnership whereby they'll get data to put into their coaching platform to offer better recommendations to their patients. You know, as we talked about intermittent glucose right. measurement, rather than four finger sticks a day, let's give you 288 points. Amazing. And, and Verily must so like that too, your partner from Google. partner from, from Verily is going very well. I, I signed it yesterday. Their on
2: dual platform, is uh, beginning to get mature also. Well, look, you're straightforward, uh, you're tough-minded, and you've delivered amazingly for your consumers, for as well consumers. as your shareholders, as I know the consumers are what you care about the most. It's Kevin Sayre, the chairman, president, and CEO of Dexcom. We mentioned a tough issue, this Thanksgiving outage. I wish every executive would address it the way Kevin ad- addressed it. Head-on, honest, and forthright. have money's back after the break.
1: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX.
2: I keep worrying that this market has way too much momentum. That stocks keep rallying on the same old news. I don't like that. It's something that could potentially set us up for a real rude awakening. Sell, sell, sell. That's why tonight I want to get a little more empirical. That's right. I want to read on the situation by going off the charts with the help of Mark Sebastian. He's helped us a lot. He's a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com. He's also is my colleague at RealMoney.com, where I blog. He's our resident volatility expert on Mad Money. Now, Sebastian has a tried and true methodology. He spots sell-offs before they happen by watching the CBOE Volatility Index, Call that the VIX for short. It's also known as the fear gauge, and that measures the level of implied volatility in the S&P 500. When investors are afraid, the VIX wars higher. When investors are confident, it stays low. The most important thing, though, is that normally the VIX and the S&P tend to move in opposite directions, and that's why they call it the fear gauge. The VIX is supposed to go down on up days. It's supposed to go up on down days. But there are times when that pattern falls apart. And this is what Sebastian's always watching for. When the market rallies and the VIX rallies with it, that tells you lots of investors are afraid and we might be headed for a serious pullback. We saw this happen a couple of times last year. I want you to take a look at this pair of daily charts. These are uh, you can see this daily right up there. These are the S&P 500 on top and the volatility volatility index or the VIX on the bottom. Last April, the S&P went up for several days in a row. So you go back here, all right? You see these up days, uh, and the VIX also started moving higher. Well, sure enough, the market experienced an orderly sell-off, and the VIX spiked. All right. Then last September, go over here now. The S&P was flat for several days, right in a row, while the VIX moved up, and we had a little mild rally. Uh, it was a little, not big. It was a mid rally uh, that really was a good, important one that we caught before though. So, what does Sebastian think we should be looking at right now? Believe it or not, he thinks we're in better shape than you believe, and this is important because a lot of people, including me, sense too much complacency. I want you to check out this shorter term pair of daily charts. So, we're looking at the S and P 500 and the VIX, and we're going back to early October. For a couple of days, it looked like we were in trouble, right? The S&P was roaring, but the VIX also started ticking up. That's the classic warning sign that Sebastian's always looking for. However, in recent days, the S&P continued to climb while the VIX has collapsed. Look at that. And that is actually an encouraging sign. So just when I'm worried about complacency, he's telling me, be careful. It's not, he shouldn't, there isn't a lot of complacency. Option traders, remember, the VIX is based on the action in the options market. Simply, uh, Simply aren't putting on more hedges. They're not putting on more hedges as the market rallies. Fear isn't rising is actually falling. In short, Sebastian says the VIX has given you the green light to stick with this market going into earnings season. So here I am concerned about complacency, and he's saying, listen, here's what you've got to worry about. There's no spike simultaneously with this run. A spike simultaneously with this run would mean we should be worried. We're not done. We've got to confirm this. We want to look at the CBOE VIX volatility index, uh, which measures the volatility of the VIX itself. Think of it as a more sensitive way to detect changes in the fear level. And Right now, the VIX, it's been collapsing too. It's currently at the lows for the quarter around eighty-five. Sebastian points out that the Vivix doesn't technically get oversold until it falls below eighty, which means there's still room for the actual volatility index to go even lower. Now I got to tell you, that's a much more encouraging story than I expected to see at this point in the cycle. I was very concerned that there would be, frankly, that we're all just kind of just. You know, what's the basic way But And this is a very big but. Even though the overall fear level is extremely low, Sebastian notes that this market has never been more jumpy on a small pullback. So let's go back to that pair of charts showing the S&P 500 and the VIX since October. Take a look at what happens when the Dow had modest down days. The VIX spiked each time. Uh, it, now look, it spiked hard. A tiny decline in the market produced a big move in the volatility index. This tells Sebastian that there are a lot of investors with itchy trigger fingers who are ready and waiting to start hedging the moment things start going south. Wow, that's a major problem. Why? Because Sebastian uses the VIX like an early warning system to detect some serious sell-offs before they go into overdrive. Given the recent action, he thinks we'll have a much shorter warning than usual. Now, we may only get two or three days of the, uh, of the VIX rallying with a flat or up market before we see some sort of breakdown in the averages. So you've got to be pretty wary here. Basically, Sebastian thinks the volatility index is giving you a green light here, but it is a very stale green light. Sooner or later, we're going to get that pullback, and you know I'm worried about that. It'll happen with less warning than usual, and not just like the decline we had intraday today. That's not what he's talking about. We're talking about a couple-day big decline. However, he believes we have more room to run before the inevitable pullback. The bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Mark Sebastian suggest that this red-hot market still has legs, but it could also turn on a dime, so be careful out there. Let's speak to Tone in Washington, D.C. Tone, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hi, Tony. It's Jim.
1: Hey, Jim. I'm a 23-year government employee, max TSP contribution. In late September, I did an interfund transfer to G. I want to know when is a good time to move profits back into the market, and should I never move profits again until retirement in two years?
2: Okay, Tone, we want to move in on a big break. And I know what's so annoying is we just aren't getting that big break. But you just got to stay. You got to stay the course. I think if you don't stay the course, you're going to end up regretting it. So let's just be calm, be cool. If it doesn't come in, it doesn't come in. It's okay to miss it. And you got two years. Okay, ride it out. Same strategy the whole two years. All right, the chart suggests, well, just one thing. Tone, don't put it all in if you only have two years left. The chart suggests this incredible market still has room to run, but it can also turn on a dime as it has before. So stay a little cautious, but you can stay in the market. The chart suggests this incredible market has still room to run. But it can also turn on a dime, so stay cautious. Much more man, money ahead. Medtronic has returned approximately 275% to shareholders since CEO Omar Ishraq took over in 2011. I'll find out what's next for the company as he prepares to step down. Then BlackRock's CEO is showing what true leadership looks like. I'm going to tell you why. And all call calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. A year ago, out here at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, Medtronic, the huge medical device maker, gave what I thought was a very bullish presentation. But the market reacted negatively to some short-term headwinds. When we spoke to Chairman CEO Omar Ishraq at the time. He told us to focus on his company's incredibly bright future and not worry about the nickel or pennies that people were focused on. Fast forward to today, he clearly nailed it. Medtronic stock has surged from the low 80s, where it was when I interviewed him last, to $117. Now, I think it's got even more upside, thanks to the strength of its amazing pipeline. But don't take it from me. Earlier today, we sat down with Mr. Ishraq again to talk about the future. Take a look. Omar, this is it for you. You have done amazing things for Medtronic, but you're about to step down. What do you think your legacy will be?
3: Well, the most important legacy, two things I always talk about. One is uh, the number of patients we've served. You know, last fiscal year, we served 75 million patients in one year. When I started, the number was more like 20 million a year. So just watching that and the impact that that has had on people is a huge thing. And, And I think the company's position to extend that further. The other and most important thing is the team in Medtronic, the people that we have there now, the leadership. I'm, I'm really thrilled with Jeff Martin and, and, and his leadership and the team below him. And what's more is that general managers that we have running these individual businesses who care and are passionate about each area in healthcare. I think if he can keep that, sustain it and grow it, that's all I need. Well, will he
2: be, and I'm sure he will because this is in your DNA, continue the industry leadership in technology, which is how I view Medtronic.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not just Jeff, but it's the team below him. And like I said, general managers below the business unit presidents and group managers and so on. Down in the guts of the organization, technology is the thing that drives Medtronic. There is one other aspect to the technology, though. Our technology is used purposely to, what we say, alleviate pain, restore health, or extend life. In other words, make an impact. So we don't do solutions per se, we address problems. And that's in the culture of Medtronic, and I think that's what separates Medtronic from other like, technology companies, and one that guarantees a sustainable future.
2: Last year, mm-hmm. at this conference, you gave a presentation. And at the presentation, there tended to be some shade down of a nickel. The stock went from 88 to 82. Yeah. You came on this show, and you said, look, this is not the way to view Medtronic. Medtronic has consistent dividends. Medtronic has consistent earnings, but Medtronic is also not afraid to fail. You go to places that nobody else will. It turned out to be an amazing buying opportunity. When will people realize that you were both inventing, not afraid to fail, and also being consistent?
3: That's correct, yeah, and that will continue. And I think uh, everyone needs to understand that Medtronic has a long-term view of healthcare. We're responsible about financials, we guarantee our dividend, uh, you know, to that degree, we have intelligent use of uh, free cash flow, we're, we're interested in, in, and committed to our returns, but at the same time, this is a long-term company. Our mission, and I'll say that again, is to use technology to alleviate pain, restore health and extend life. That journey doesn't stop, never stops. You are uh,
2: important in uh, two things where most people give up on, most med companies give up on the brain with brain skin and the back where we tend to be able to just say, let's fuse it. Yeah. You are not accepting those kinds of dictums. You're not accepting the current way that people do things with the brain and the back.
3: Indeed. Yeah. Because the, I, I do think that the uh, neurostimulation and understanding the nervous system and how signals propagate in the nervous system and what they do is an area of understanding that's really embryonic right now uh, in general. And uh, There's a lot of uh, empirical work. People try things, and some things happen, and try to narrow down on that. But I think what's important is actually understanding the mechanisms of action. And that's something that Medtronic is committed to doing. This is a long-term commitment. This is not going to happen, like, uh, in one year. But action needs to be taken every year. And the brain... Uh, The most recent product that we just launched, uh, called the Percept uh, DBS system, Mm -hmm. has a sensing mechanism for the first time. So the first time you'll actually see signals in the brain and understand when you stimulate what happens to those signals. And through that, eventually, actually create a closed-loop system for treatment of Parkinson's and possibly essential tremor. Um, And again, there's some years out, but we have everything in place in real patients, in commercially available products, to which, to which we can start that journey.
2: Again, uh, going after things that others have given up on, hypertension kills millions. Right. Okay? right. Uh, you started 10 years ago. Yes. Uh, others gave up, gave up, gave up. You Restake. continue to pursue. You're not afraid to spend a lot of money on something that will not, pr- 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 will not necessarily produce results in a given year.
3: That's right. As long as the, the, the study that we do, is that do we have a tangible and rational reason for doing it? Time is secondary in that. The first thing is do we understand, is there a reason to do it? And then we pursue it. And I think the hypertension example is one of the best ones. We started that 10 years ago. There was a failed trial. But we didn't give up. We tried to understand why did the trial fail? How can we adjust it? Is it the cohorts we're looking after? Is it the type of technology we have? Is it the administration? Is it the design of the trial? All of those were open questions, and we narrowed it down. And now, uh, you know, we're close to presenting some pivotal uh, trial results uh, in March, and you know, we'll see. It's early to kind of commit to that.
2: Our country is ravaged by uh, opioid addiction, uh, and that's because no one seems to have any solution for pain. Indeed, you guys yes. are directly approaching what causes pain and dealing with it, and maybe one day, ending a lot of it.
3: Indeed, yeah. And I think the stimulation, again, back to the, the understanding the nervous system, I think that's uh, poorly understood. And uh, pain, you know, after all, pain is a sensation that you feel because of signals that are transmitted through the nervous system. If you can understand that and if you can control those signals in a, in a, in a programmable way and in a logical way, I think at some point in the future I know that uh, we will, we will you know, address that problem. And it's not just a single shot. It's probably different types of pain require different types of management. And we're very early as a, as a society, if you like, uh, very early in the journey of learning that. But we are absolutely committed to that. Time, like I said, is secondary there. Understanding is primary.
2: Even since I saw you last, uh, the accomplishments that you've done with robotics needs to be noted. Uh, you are also saving the system from error, saving the system from being inexact. Uh, that acquisition of Mazor paid off.
3: Indeed, yeah, it's only beginning to pay off. Let's put it that way. Tell people get, what it's
2: doing, it's, where it's, it's being it's, used.
3: It's, well, it's being used in uh, major centers. The U.S. is the main area, and, and most major centers in the U.S., without naming any, uh, have have one of those. Uh, the um, sort of um, the desire for that is is pretty high mm-hmm. uh, but most importantly what it does is it uh, it makes uh, the procedures consistent it gives you quantitative data as to how to manage the procedures there's a planning aspect mm-hmm. to this thing which most systems don't have and increasingly now we're integrating it with other technologies such as our navigation system and eventually our imaging system through which the power of that robot will really increase but it's also important to recognize that uh, you know robotics isn't a, a general answer to everything uh, you know the robots will be different this is a spinal robot. We're also working on a general surgery robot. There's a cranial robot. Uh, there will be others. And uh, just like, you know, surgeries are different procedures, robots need to be optimized to do certain things. And right. um, and measure, measure is our first step into it. We're delighted with the results that we're seeing. And our spine business uh, this last year, uh, ever since I've been here, has had its strongest year. Well, and, and the robot has played a big role in that.
2: Well, it's also mad money. You have uh, 275... Percent return since you came in 2011. That's a remarkable return, uh, and, and I cannot stress enough that you're not afraid to fail. You're going after the big areas, and yet you're still consistent. I want to congratulate you, Omar, for thank doing you. A great thank you, Jim. Job. That's Omar Ishraq. He's the chairman, and CEO of Medtronic MDT. Remarkable company. Great work in your stewardship.
3: Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate it.
2: That's wrap right, front calls. One of those seventy-seven. Bye, bye, bye. So just recording on the phone. Talk with me. play sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Come on, the lightning round comes about. over. Tom in Connecticut. Tom.
3: Thanks, Jimmy, for helping us, little people. My question today is about Sirius Radio. Has it? Piece- okay.
2: Remember, we're all little people. I happen to like Greenstein. I happen to like Jim Myer. I like the management. I like the product. But here's the problem. It needs more car turnover. I'm going to stay bullish on it. We've liked it for a triple. Let's keep going. Let's go to Mike in California. Mike.
3: Uh,
1: hi, uh, Jim. Buya. I have Mike. a question about revans. Uh, they just filed a marketing application with FDA and they've also signed a reseller agreement with a French company
2: yes so. that was very smart and I think look you know I think this is a great situation however I still prefer to be a little more diversified and like AbbVie which is buying Allergan uh, because well you want Botox I think that's the way to play let's go to Max North Carolina my axe. Hey Jim what's up first time caller alright let's go hey uh, so here's a name for you Stoneco recent IPO uh, big names are in it Berkshire and Alibaba what do you think I have to do more work on Stone Co. Candidly, I know it came public, but it's, you know, it's a Brazilian company. Uh, I have not had great luck with Brazilian companies, so I've got to do, uh, I got to stay, I got to bear down. Let's go to Salvatore in Maryland. Salvatore. Jim, booyah. Booyah. Long time listener, first time caller. Gotcha. My stock is is Dollar General. Oh, my. Dollar General has negotiated and navigated these tariffs, and they've done a fantastic job. Better than Dollar Tree. It's a winner. Also better, by the way, than Five Below. Which is now like 20 below, 5 below. Let's go to Darwin. Darnell? No, Darwin in Texas. Darwin.
1: Hey, Jim. How you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. How about you? Good, good. Hey, with the recent run up at the market, I've taken some money off the table, but I'm looking for some, some decent yield. And uh, I know Buffett and Munger have a lot of money on the side, but what do you think of Berkshire Hathaway, BRB? No, not a yield BRCG. play. No, we don't want that for yield play. We've got tons of others that have growth for yield play. I've actually liked ATT and Verizon is the way to do it. Let's go to Robin in New York. Robin. Hi, Jim. Uh, this company is expanding and has a good dividend. What do you think of park, hotels,
0: and resorts, symbol PK?
2: Yeah, I've looked at these guys. Um, you know, there's been overbuilding of hotels and resorts. And I can, you know, the reason why I'm pausing is because I have now watched six. Six flags just get completely annihilated. I am worried about any 9% yield in that business. I'm going to say pass. Let's go to David in Florida. David! Hey, Kramer. Jimmy Chill. Yo, Booyah from South Florida. Like that. Uh, I am interested in a stock called Tandem Diabetes Care, and I wanted to know what you think about Frustrating, frustrating, frustrating. Got partnerships. It's terrific. Works with Dexcom. But Dexcom is the better one of the two, and there's just no denying it. I'm not backing from from Tandem Diabetes, but it's frustrating. Let's go to Jim in New York. Jim. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Jim in New York. I am doing well, Jim. What's up? Excellent. Um, I'm calling about LTC properties. Just want to know what you think of them for uh, long term health care. We are against it. We don't, know no, we like, it. let me back up. We like long term health care, but we do not like long term health care stocks. Stay away. Let's go to Kathy in California. Kathy.
0: Hi. Hi, Jim. Um, hey, I'm new to stock buying, and I'm interested in knowing what you think of AppCore.
2: You know, it's just a straightforward building play, and, you know, I'm bullish on America, and I think this is a great way to play it. One of the better ones, kind of unknown. We should do a piece on it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round
4: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Something huge happened today. A total positive game changer. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, a $7 trillion investment firm, said that his company will now make investment decisions based in part on a company's commitment to environmental sustainability. Hey, this isn't some little hedge fund focused on environmentalism. It's one of the most important investment firms in the world. So what does this mean for you? From now on, a company that can't prove it regards the earth as a stakeholder is liable to get a lower price to earnings multiple because serious investors are now going to pay up for sustainability. That's a very big deal. I cannot stress this enough. For way too long, it felt kind of like that we were fiddling while Rome burns. Climate change is a serious threat to our future, but nobody wants to deal with it. Way too often corporate executives and their shareholders simply don't care about this stuff. There's a lot of lip service, a lot of, well, we got to do more, but not much action. I get it. It's not supposed to be their job to care. Well, that ended today. Those of us who feel strongly about this issue have lacked a champion. Now Larry Fink is that champion. Not only does he manage the most money, he also holds the moral ground and is revered by almost every CEO I've ever asked about. Think was self-effacing and emotional in his amazing interview with CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin. But his rigor is never in doubt. As he said in his note today, quote, the evidence on climate risk is compelling investors to reassess core assumptions about modern finance. End quote. That That comment right there says, we don't care whether or not you believe in climate change. We will punish your stock if you don't do something about it. We don't care if you believe in it. Don't think of this as some sort of bleeding heart thing. It's purely a risk assessment. If there's even a 50% chance that the dire predictions of climate scientists are true, and I actually kind of think that they are, well, it's going to be very bad for business. And if capitalism can't regulate itself on this issue, you better believe governments around the world will eventually do it for capitalism. Think we will be introducing funds that will avoid fossil fuel-oriented companies. BlackRock will take to task those companies that don't do enough, something that could lead to some high-profile proxy fights that no company wants to be in. I scrutinize hundreds of companies looking for this commitment and try to address every one of them and everyone, every CEO who's on gets a question from me about this. It's necessary. Even if you don't believe in the issues, and I do wholeheartedly, you still have to care if you want to pick stocks, because BlackRock cares, and they've got seven trillion dollars under management. Now, I often joke about how these issues can't really be factored into what you're willing to pay for a stock. For decades, I quite candidly, cavalierly said things like, well, what does that have to do with the price earnings ratio of Bristol-Myers? I was contemptuous of anything that didn't directly relate to the earnings. And for a good reason. I was gaming the big institutional money managers. They didn't care about this stuff, so why should I? But after today, the big money managers do care, and that changes the equation, people. Boards will now ask CEOs what they're doing to help save the planet. Powerful investors like Fink will insist on knowing what a company's plans are to address climate change. Fund managers will start to sell stocks of companies that ignore these issues. Businesses will be forced to pay their executive bonuses based on steps that they've taken to reduce the company's carbon footprint, something that the Ford thing clocks Clarks already does. But I need to see more companies doing this. I got to tell you, think's actions remind me of the huge divestment movement aimed at punishing companies that did business with South Africa back during the days of apartheid. Many of us protested against universities that kept endowment money in companies that profited from the criminal apartheid regime. Initially, we were dismissed as dreamers with with a, a quixotic streak. But over the years, the movement gained steam and tons of companies ended up pulling out of South Africa because of our protests, which ultimately helped topple the regime. I think we're seeing the same thing with climate change here. And I'm thrilled. Fink's giving companies the cover they need to roll their sleeves up and stop hurting the darn environment. I say bravo. I'm glad someone with real heft is finally throwing their weight behind a hugely important issue when far too few executives were willing to take action because it might hurt their earnings. I think this was a bold and necessary move. But even if you disagree with me, you have to recognize that Fink has changed the calculus. If companies don't take action, one of the largest asset managers in the world will pay less for their earnings. Like it or not, sustainability now matters to the stock market. And if you haven't factored in yet, well, the train is leaving the station. Stick with Craig. what's called a case-by-case person all my life case for economics and what the president's doing with tariffs I think it is working. It's actually been fabulous, and the Chinese are capitulating case by case what Larry Fink is doing with climate change. That is so important to me. I hope it's important to you. Larry Fink is going to make it important whether you like it or not, and he is going to change things. Business is a great source of social change. I'd like I say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow.